Uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's good to be in your house. It's good to gather in this place with your people. Thank you, Father, for the gift of ministry and the opportunity to serve. And um, Father, I just pray that um, your word would be heard this morning, and that by your spirit and by your power, we might be encouraged, um, that, Lord, we might be inspired in ways to, uh, to continue to serve you and to serve you well. Thank you for the journey that my family and I have had with the Forest Lake Church and the pastoral team here and our Bridge family as well. And uh, God, I just pray that uh, much fruit will come as a result of that. And Lord, you will continue to bless and, um, and grow this church. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, as I mentioned, I pastored in Salt Lake City for a number of years. Um, and one of the unique things, if you've ever traveled there, uh, if you've ever spent any time there, one of the unique things about Salt Lake is the way the city itself is laid out and the way that you get around. So it's this, it's this grid system. Um, and so uh, it, it actually, once you get there and once you get into it, and once you learn about how to, um, how to navigate it, it's actually quite, it's quite awesome. Um, and because it's laid out on a grid, basically what happens is you have coordinates that help you to get around. You have addresses, and some of them actually have street names, but a lot of them, uh, most of them have coordinates. And even the places with street names have a coordinate to get to. So, so uh, for example, if you wanted to go to, um, if you were going to 2100 South and 700 East, um, that would be a coordinate. That would be a location that you could get to. And if you know how to move around there, you'd go, you'd go, um, you'd go, you'd take that you go down you go south and you go east a little bit and that's how you would get to that coordinate and basically the way it, that all came about is Joseph Smith the founder of the Mormon church um, had this idea he, he originally called it the Zion the plat of Zion was how he thought about it and he thought about it in such a way that he wanted to make the kind of the the heart and the hub of the city he wanted it centered around the temple um, he wanted the, the place of, of faith and the place of spiritual um, of, of focus and, and the, sort of the headquarters of, of spiritual life in the church. He wanted that to be the reference point for every place in the city. So wherever you go in Salt Lake City, you are in relation to the, uh, the Mormon temple or to the temple there. And so, like I said, if you go 2100 south and 700 east, you are 21 blocks south of the temple and seven blocks east of the temple. That's kind of how that, that deal works. You have those coordinates. And um, it's kind of an interesting thing and an interesting way to approach how people get around your city. And I was thinking about that the, the other day and thinking about how significant that is and what a great, what a great picture of this idea of faith, that the, that the primary reference point for our lives and the primary way that we navigate and get around and the primary way that we do life is in reference to our faith. I said, yeah, I actually like that idea a lot. 
Um, if you think about it, right, you, you know, if, you're, if you are a, a believer, if you're a Christian, if you're a Seventh-day Adventist Christian in particular, maybe you transitioned somewhere, maybe even when you moved to, if you're not a native Floridian, or if you haven't grown up in Apopka, um, when you moved here, when you moved to the area, you kind of had to say, okay, where, where is the church? Where's, where's, the, where's the sort of center of, of faith? Where's the hub for spiritual life and so forth? And you probably landed in where the neighborhood that you're at based on your proximity to this place that is sort of the center and the reference point for your faith. That's kind of the way it is for those of us who are believers. And I was thinking about how significant it is that our faith is this, is this thing that helps us to navigate life. And when you think about what Myself and Pastor Jeff and all the pastors on the staff get to do. We are engaged in a work that allows us to help you get through life and to help you navigate and to help you um, kind of do life in such a way in relation to your faith, in relation to the Bible and Scripture. And this place is, is a, kind of that, that spiritual hub. And what a privilege it is for us and what a gift it is for us to be able to be that reference point for you or at least represent the reference point for you as you do life and as you navigate life. Jesus kind of talked about this in a similar way. Um, scripture talks about it this way. Uh, John chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. Um, it's actually the story where, remember in John 2, Jesus turned water into wine, and then later on in the chapter, he, um, he, he cast the people out from, the money changers out from around the temple. He was very disturbed by that whole scene. Um, but Jesus begins to refer to himself in an interesting way, and I want you to hear this. He says this, John chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, um, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. Listen to what he says. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. So Jesus actually refers to himself as the temple. And what a, what a, what a cool what a cool thing that God does, what Jesus does there is that he says um, this, this temple or this, this place of spiritual, uh, the hub of spiritual life and, and faith life, uh, it isn't just centered in a building. It's not just centered in, in, in these four walls, but it's actually centered not in a place, but in a person. So you and I don't, we don't, we're not big on temples these days. We have our church building so forth and so forth. And we're going to add to this church plant. But at the end of the day, what we know and what our faith relies upon is this notion that it's not so much about a place as much as it is a person. It's not so much about this, this physical temple made of bricks and, and, and stuff. It's it's about the person who came as a fulfillment of the temple. And it was prophesied that this, that this one would come along and there, would be never, there wouldn't be a need for a temple anymore. There wouldn't be a need for this idea that we would have to go to a place and, and connect with God, but that God would come in the flesh and he would fulfill that. So now that we could experience God anywhere that you were, 
But Jesus, Jesus would develop that a little bit more. Isaiah would develop this idea a little bit more in Isaiah chapter 28 and 16. Listen to this. Um, he says this. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. Listen to Jesus. Uh, listen to how he prophesies about Jesus. Cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. So, so Isaiah, the, in the Bible that Jesus would have read, talking about this one who would come who would be not only a temple, but he would be the cornerstone. He would be, he would be the one that was the ultimate reference point for everyone. He would be the one that you would point to to look for how you do life and how you live. He was the everything. He was the standard. He was the he, he was the, the one you align yourself with. He was the one that you could put the most weight on and who would take all the weight. He was strong. He's the cornerstone. That's how Scripture refers to this one. So Jesus isn't just the temple. He's not just the fulfillment, but he's the, he's the, he's the center point. He is ground zero. He is he's the cornerstone. And then again, Jesus would would come and say and remind the people of who he was himself. Matthew 21, verse 42, listen to this. He says, Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures in Isaiah, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. And I can't help but think that for a church, especially one as large as this one, where we might be tempted to look to our buildings and our edifices and, and our successes and how we've arrived at where we've arrived and all the great things that we've accomplished, we might begin to forget about the one who all of this hinges on. We might be tempted to, to overlook the one who, who is ultimately the one that this thing is all about, and that is Jesus. At the end of the day, he is the cornerstone. He is the one that this is all centered upon. He is the one that this thing is all about. Jesus. Jesus. I've, I've said this in other messages. I'm certain of it, but I'll, I think it bears repeating the quote from Stephen Covey. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And for every church, if you're not clear about what the main thing is or who the main thing is, it's not about your buildings and how many of them that you can build. It's not about how successful we can come, become in the eyes of the world. It's ultimately about Jesus. He is the main thing. He is the one that we build upon. He is the one that we take our cues from. He is the one who is at the center. He is the one that we find the greatest strength is. He is the one who bears all of the weight. He is at the center of what we do. We have nothing. We are nothing without Jesus. So, interesting thing that comes about as well in the New Testament is another idea of, on this idea of temples. And I, I love this idea. So I'm going to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20. It says this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, 
whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. So a new idea is introduced. In the same way that Isaiah predicted that one would come, that Jesus would come and he would fulfill everything, that he would be the temple, that he would be the cornerstone, that we, he would be everything that it was said he would need to be. He is the Christ, the son of the living God, and you and I believe in him. In the same way that, that Jesus would do all that, and then Jesus would come and he'd actually articulate him, articulated himself and affirm the very notion that, yes, I am the one. Have you not heard that I am the chief cornerstone, that I am the one that this thing is all about? It's interesting that it's also suggested in here that you and I are these temples too. That in the same way that we don't have to, you know, we're, we're not confined to four walls, we don't have to just show up at a building and that's the only way that we can connect with God. The truth is you are a little temple too. You are a reference point for God as well. You are the one that people can look to and find some guidance. You are the one that people can use as a reference point for how they see the character of God and who he is and what he's all about and and what he might desire for someone's life. You are a little temple, too. So you should turn to your friend next to you and say, Hi, temple. How are you doing? Yeah. You're a little bit of a... And the Holy Spirit dwells in you. So not only are you a temple, but the Spirit of God dwells in you. So you, you have this, this spark of God that exists in you that... that shapes you and uses you in life, you're a great reference point. Um, one example of that is this. I'll, I'll kind of give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Um, my wife, Christina, uh, works at Nemours Children's Hospital. And um, uh, actually, that's, that's some other news that we have. She's actually changing jobs as well. Not only am I changing jobs, but she's changing. We just decided to do all the changes at the same time, just totally disrupt our family. But that's the way, that's the way we decided to do it. But she's changing jobs as well. Uh, she's going to join the Florida Hospital family as a child life specialist at uh, Florida Hospital for Children. So that's kind of cool uh, for us. She had a long drive to Nemours Children, about an hour away, and now she's got a really short commute. But I love to, um, I, I love the way that she is positioned as a temple where she lives, and she's the reference point for faith uh, where she works, I'm sorry, where she works, because very often in her workplace, where she's surrounded a lot of times by people who, have no, who aren't of faith, um, they look to her for spiritual guidance. So if something is going on in their lives, they look to Christina, the one who is connected to uh, you know, this Jesus and faith and so forth. They'll look to her for help and support. Or if, they, if they're planning to go out, you know, it's been a long week, it's Friday evening and, or Friday and they're getting off and they're, they're saying, hey, we're going to go grab some drinks over here. And they look at her and go, oh yeah, that's right. You don't, you don't go there, right? And, you know, they just sort of say, oh, you're, you're a little bit different, but I tell you what, man, when something was going on with one of her coworkers, going through a messy divorce, a very difficult time, and Christina was there, and she was the, she was the reference point, someone to look to for strength and for guidance, for help in a deep, dark, broken time. 
That was so cool. People showed up to her as the temple, and they were look, she was looking, her friend was looking for strength and courage. I tell you what, um, when Christina responded, this woman was going through a divorce, and she needed help moving out of her house. It was getting really ugly. She needed to move really, really fast. Christina called me and said, hey, we need some guys from the Forest Lake Church to come help move this friend quickly. We showed up, and we were there. That's the church being the reference point. That's the church being the place that, that gets to say, this is who Jesus is like. This is who God is like. This is, this, is how you, this is where you find strength in the midst of your most challenging times in life. We were the reference point. How cool is that? We are this temple, man. You and I get to participate in what God is doing um, in our own community and around the world. You and I get to get to be these little reference points for God. And Lord knows that in this day and age, we, more than any other time in the history of the world, we have to be the best reference points that we can be. Because the world looks for faith. The, the world looks for the character of a God who is not out to destroy them, but is for them and with them and wants to surround them and encourage them. So that's what the world looks for. So I was thinking about this and how important it is for us to be these reference points. I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about Christmas, Christmas morning when I was a kid. And I loved Christmas morning, especially when it looked like I was going to get a new bicycle. Because I loved bicycles, and I loved my bicycle. And as I grew up and went through the different, you know, stages, you get the bigger bikes, and I got the coolest bike ever, because the bike represented all the fun and adventure that you could get into, and, and you could build ramps and jump them, and you could do all kinds of things on your bike. And if you had a really cool, nice, shiny new bike, when you rolled around in the neighborhood, people just kind of looked, and it was amazing, and I loved it. And there was such anticipation and just the smiles and the joy that it brought me, man. I just, it just gave me incredible, you know, uh, opportunities to dream and to wonder about all the great adventures that I would enjoy on this, I would enjoy on this bicycle. I'll never forget, I got, um, when I got this new bike, I was in, I went to Kmart and I found the ultimate accessory for my bicycle. It was a turn signal. <laughs> It was amazing. It was a turn signal for my bike. So now, as I'm out riding this, thing, this great bike, I, I, could, I could actually signal and tell people which direction I was turning. It was, I just love that. I thought that was the greatest thing in the world. And even to this day, it puts a smile on my face to think about all that I could do on that bicycle. And I can't help but think that we as a church must return at some level to a a renewed sense of childlike wonder when it comes to how we do church and how we become the reference point for people that we need to become. And we should, we should, we should have great anticipation about the church and we should have great vision and we should have great uh, mission about the church because what we do here is so incredibly important. And we cannot get lulled into just saying, okay, it's just church as usual. We're just going to do it, and we're just going to get by, and everything's going to be fine, and it's going to be okay, because all the preachers will take care of it. No. 
No, everybody in their own personal faith must have this vision for, this anticipation for, this, this excitement and wonder about the body of Christ. That's infectious. That's how, that's how dreams and visions work for the church. That's how mission gets accomplished. It's not, it's not simply, you know, a matter of, of sort of preachers coming up with these ideas of what we should do and every, convincing everybody to do it. No, no. You, as a little temple, as a little reference point for the kingdom of God, you get to own a part of it and a piece of it, and you get to live that out in this collective that we call a church. And all I'm saying is, don't let your dreams die just because you grow up. Don't stop getting excited about Christmas morning and new things because you grew up. Keep dreaming for your church. Keep having visions for your church. Keep attempting new things for your church. Keep, keep, try, keep, keep, keep launching. Keep ramping. Keep popping wheelies for your church because you are a reference point for people. You will ultimately determine how well people navigate this life. You will ultimately, you can be a source of great encouragement and comfort and, and strength and restoration for people. And sometimes the church, the way we've always done it, or the old way isn't always enough. And it doesn't all just simply rely on the preachers that you hire and put in place. Here's the other thing that's encouraging to me, and I, and I pray that it would be um, something that we are a reference point that, that we're known for as, as, when it comes to this, and that is this notion that God has called us to love. Remember the great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I think that's so important, um, that we're a community, that we're a culture that is just very determined to love and to love well. Um, one of the hardest things you do as a pastor is when you do funerals and when you experience when you walk with your members through the experience of grief and loss, it is, it is tough. Probably the thing that, that is even more significant is when you lose people that are closest to you, when you lose colleagues in ministry, and I've lost a number over the years, and you lose perhaps a family member, a very, very dear, dear friend. Um, and that was the case last year. Um, we lost a very dear friend. Her name is Gail Tucker. She's a pastor and a mentor of mine and her husband. They, they were with me when I started ministry. And it's largely because of them that I actually had an opportunity to become a pastor. And so they mean a great deal. And so when she uh, got pancreatic cancer and would die a very short time after, it was tough when we had to go in. Uh, Christina and I went, at, went down and then we were there for the service and I had a part in the service. It was very, very, very difficult. But what stood out to me as we were back there among family and friends that we'd known for years because, again, ministry started there, what stood out to me was that people in the midst of that pain and that darkness and that grief, how often people said, I love you. 
And again, I haven't been around these people for a very, very long time. And, and yes, they had all been around each other likely more often than not. But there are many, many people that came in from around the country. But we all had this common connection and we all had this, this, this sense of community. We all sensed that there was pain and brokenness in everyone. But the, and the words that we chose to use, the words that seemed the most important in that devastating time were the words, I love you. And it was profound, and it was strong in those moments, and it was it was deeply moving for me as I and I just I just kept hearing it. People would see each other, or they they would say have to say goodbye because people had to depart and leave and get back to their homes and so forth. But it was a lot of I love you, and we, one person would break down, someone else would go around and hug them and say I love you, I love you. And I decided that I would write a blog about it, and I still haven't gotten, right, gotten around to writing that blog. <laughs> I write one about every six months. It seems I'm a terrible blogger. But the title of that blog was going to be, maybe it still will be, Where There Is, I Love You. And I think the church has to be the place where there is, I love you. And a lot of I love you. And it may be verbalized or it may just be through loving actions. But we have to be a place that majors in I love you. And, and I know this, this, is, this is frustrating for me in particular, for maybe for every pastor, because the minute that I say love and that this thing should really, really be about love and, and love is the thing that, that it's all about, there are people who immediately go, oh, well, he's watering down the message. He's not serious about, about God and the Bible and the truth, and he's just so shallow, and, and boy, when is he going to hear a good Adventist sermon and stuff, you know? People go that route with you. And I just kind of say, the last time I checked, the Bible refers to God as love. And the, the, most, the most significant identifying mark of God's people, the Bible talks about how they will know we are Christians because of our... And because God so... Boy, that seems like that's a pretty big deal in the Bible. <laughs> this whole notion of love. That we would be a community and a culture that, that, that is about love. And that there are a lot of I love you's. I can't think of a more profound way to strengthen and build up a community of believers and become the most significant reference point for the world than to say that we are a community where there are a lot of I love you's. And so I would pray that we would be that community at the Forest Lake Church. And when people think about Seventh-day Adventists in the Forest Lake Church, and they go, those people will love you. And I know there are different ways that you define it and so forth. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the significant way in the Bible where it's not just permissiveness. People say, oh, you love me because you let me do whatever I want. No, it's the type of love that, that loves you so significantly that sometimes we don't let you do what you want. But we love you. We are there for you. In your darkest moments, we will wrap our arm around you and say, we love you. And we may do that with words or we may do that with actions. But we say it. 
Love ultimately brings about intimacy. And if there's one of, the, one of the best things that we can communicate to the world, that the God of the universe was about intimacy and not intimidation, we got to let people know that. That goes right to the heart and the character of this God that we serve, right? That he was about connecting and knowing. And through that knowing and through that connecting and through that intimacy, he would transform hearts and lives. So really, really, all you and I have to do is set God up to do what he does best. And that's to reveal himself to people as a God of love who wants to be with them. You and I don't convince anybody of that. We just tee the ball up so the Holy Spirit can come through and knock it out of the park. That's what we do. So that's why it's so incredibly important for you as a little temple and a little reference point to set God up. And collectively, corporately as the church, we set God up to do his very best things and his very best work. And many will come to see and know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. So I want to leave you with these words from the book of Hebrews. And it's a great word because it's a word to a group of people who have suffered through some challenges and they're going through some stuff. But, but Paul, I believe, wrote the book of Hebrews. Paul leaves them with some words of encouragement and endurance. So I want to leave you with these words of encouragement and endurance. Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25, it says this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promises faithful... And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this community of faith. Thank you, Father, for your calling upon each one of us to serve as your reference point so that we can help people navigate this life. Lord God, may we be inspired, may we be encouraged, may we be compelled to be the best reference point we can be. And may we be characterized by love. May we, may, Lord, if there's ever a place where we, um, where we fail, may we not fail in the area of love. May we be strong there. May this be a place where there are many I love yous. And Lord, until that day you come, until that day when you come, may we persevere in that. So Lord, bless us and keep us to that end. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.